Welcome to Zero to CEO, where seasoned entrepreneurs will teach you how to succeed. I'm your host, Jason Sherman. In today's episode of Zero to CEO, I have with me a tax savings architect, Mark Myers. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Jason. Great, great to be here. Good timing. Tax season is right around the corner. I just did my taxes last week. Uh, and today we're going to talk about how to turn your tax bracket into a profit center. Everybody wants to hear the answer to this because they're literally filing their taxes and they want a refund. They don't want to have to pay, you know, out. Uh, I, I know I usually end up paying out. So, um, how can I turn it into a profit center? I, I need to know the answer too, man. So, uh, tell me a little bit about what you mean about turning your tax bracket into a profit center so we can kind of kick things off. Absolutely. Well, you know, the, there's good news and bad news. The, the bad news is 2022 is done, so there's not a lot that I can do to help people for their 2022 taxes. However, the good news is there are strategies that allow for refunds, even if you didn't uh, know that you even were eligible for one until 2023. But turning your tax bracket into or your tax liability into uh, a profit center is key, um, and it really just requires putting more energy and effort into finding the coupons that are there for you. Now, most people don't realize that taxes are, most people don't realize they're paying retail and they could pay wholesale. And and the wholesale really has to do with how many coupons they're clipping and how many coupons do they, do they know are available? Right. So what do you, what do you mean by, what do you mean by coupons exactly? Because I haven't heard of those. Right. So, and this is just my lingo, just you know, to get some insight, you know, the, the coupon lingo. But there's 75,000 plus pages of tax code. And in that tax code, there's lots and lots and lots of coupons, right? Oh, it says you can do this. It says you can do that. And essentially, you put it together, you've got a coupon, and now you're paying less tax. <laughs> so, so let me ask you something. With the 75,000 pages of tax code, what made you get into this business? <laughs> you know, right? I'm, a, I'm a glutton for punishment. You must. Yeah, you really are, because that's a lot of pages, man. 75. I mean, how long does it take to read all of them? Jesus. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. Um, the, the nature of my business is I let the smart guys do all the heavy lifting. I work with uh, over a dozen different very niche uh, accounting and attorney groups, and each of them focus on one sliver of the code, and they do it really well. So when I know that their solution works, then I bring them in to the to the equation to help the client that I'm working with. And what kind of clients typically need help navigating all of this? I'm just curious, is it more like businesses, business owners, consumers, all of the above? Um, is there a specific reason they come to you? Yeah, all of the above. Obviously, business owners, Jason, are a lot easier to work with because they can control the way they receive money. You know, obviously, if you're a high income earning executive that has lots of restricted stock units or ISOs that they have to execute every year, well, they kind of have their hands tied. They, you know, but I can still help them too. But the, the answer to the question as to, you know, so anybody, it can be an executive, a W-2 earner, a business owner. Business owners have more options to reduce tax because there's more flexibility. Um, but really people come to me because they're in pain hmm. when they write their tax check and their CPA basically says, Hey, I'm doing everything. You're, we're doing everything we can. Um, and you just have to pay the tax. And they're thinking in their mind, well, that doesn't make sense because I've I heard a lot of other people paying less. So there's right. got to be something more. That's when I come into the equation. I don't replace their CPA, by the way. 
Right. So the, their regular accountant is doing their normal taxes, but you're saying that there are methods and, and coupons, I guess you call them, that allows people, business owners in particular, to, I guess, leverage um, deductions maybe. Uh, maybe there's a way to deduct more expenses. I mean, I know that I do that every year, but um, what are some of like, what are like the top three things you would say to someone who is afraid to write that check? And you would say to them, hey, you can do these three things. Yep. Perfect. So with regard to um, bifurcating your tax bill, so the IRS and the federal government has made it really clear for the last 20 years that they want the renewable energy grid to be built by the private sector. That's why Tesla is, is around. That's why Sunrun is around. Um, Bank of America, Amazon, Chase, Amazon have purchased billions and billions of dollars worth of solar in the last 15 years, not because it was the most amazing asset to purchase. It's because they got significant amount of tax benefit for it. Mm. So the first thing that I go to when, whether they're a W-2 earner or a, um, or a business owner is the value that they can get for acquiring solar. Because what I say is that every dollar that you use to acquire solar can potentially save you a dollar and 15 cents in the very first year. And it also gives you long-term cash flow. So what happened is the federal government just paid for the long-term cash flow, so they have free money. So solar is always the great, and that works for anyone. Um, there's other ways that we can take and leverage deductions. So, for example, you might realize that, and most everybody knows, well, they can give a dollar to a charitable organization, 501c3. And if they're in California and they have a they have the worst tax bill you know, in, the, in the country, they're paying 53 cents on the dollar if they're you know making above – $2 million a year. Well, you give a dollar away, you say 53 cents, it still costs you 47 cents. I don't, most people don't like the math on that, but they do like giving money to the organizations. So I say, well, what if you could buy an asset for a dollar? That's worth four. Well, that gets a little bit more interesting. So now if you actually donate an asset that's worth $4, you can take fair market value for the value of the asset that you donate. A $4 deduction for a high income earner in California gives them almost $2 in tax savings, but it costs them a dollar. Hmm. So it's a leverage kind of opportunity. So that, that would be number two. And number three, um, you know, a lot of times I work with people that are selling highly appreciated assets. So they're looking at a high long-term capital gains tax bill. So number three would be before you sell that asset, because when you sell it, you take assignment of income. When you take assignment of income, the IRS is holding their money out saying, Jason Sherman, thank you for, uh, the money that you're going to pay us because you just made a few hundred thousand dollars, a few or a million, whatever, on the asset that you've held for 15 years. Well, if, you, if they come to me in advance, I can say, Jason, don't sell it yourself. We need to shift this asset over into an entity that will sell the asset that has an entirely different tax ramification. So now so, you didn't take assignment of income. The entity did, but now you have a much different tax but who owns who owns the entity? I'm assuming you're talking about an LLC. No, most of the time we're looking at trusts and or you, trusts. Um, sure. So how does that work? Like I I give like say a, a house to a trust. Um, the tr I own the trust, right? I mean, isn't it still pointing pointing the fingers at me still? So true. You're going to control. Generally speaking, you're going to control the trust. Um, you do have, there's different ways to structure the trust. And I would say that this is where we kind of get into the, the weeds. 
But to keep it high level, the two structure, the two trust structures that I generally recommend people use, and they've used them very su- successfully for many years, is one, you put you shift the money into the trust prior to the sale. So now the trust is essentially receiving the income, not you. So there's no assignment of income to you. And that trust essentially creates a note back to yourself, promissory note, and essentially you control the note. So if you don't want to take money from that trust, you don't have to, and you're only triggering a tax event when you take money from the trust. But while the money's in there, you're compounding, you're reinvesting, investing, reinvesting, investing. You don't have a tax bill until you take money. What if you, you what if you note. don't? What if the trust starts spending the money, not you? Like what if the trust wants to start a business or the trust wants to open a store? You know, not you personally. It's like say that it's, you know, company XYZ trust and the money's in there and now that entity wants to start an online business or anything. Is, is that even possible? Absolutely. Oh, you okay. can do whatever you'd like with the dollars in that trust. You have full control over them. And if you want to start businesses, if you want to invest in real estate, if you want to buy crypto, the good news is there's no tax event for your earnings in that trust unless you take money out of the trust for personal use. So that means so that's when you so that means withdrawing from the trust account into your personal bank account. That's the only trigger is what you're saying. So technically you could move it around into different businesses like you can start an, an LLC that sells tchotchkes, an LLC that's a dog grooming business, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You could just put money into those things from the trust, but not to yourself. hundred percent. Think of it wow, as a- that's pretty crazy. Uh, yeah, think of it as like a uh, an IRA, but on steroids, because in an IRA, yeah. you get a 10% penalty if you take money out before right. you're 59 and a half. You don't have that. In an IRA, you, um, you have to take minimum required withdrawals at 73 that this issue you don't. Right. In an IRA, when you track, when you pass it on to your your kids, not your spouse, with a step up a basis, there's right. a tax bill for them. We can you can pass wow. this trust to the kids, and they don't and they don't get charged for it either until no. they start removing money from it. That's they just, keep just investing, crazy. investing, and they take yeah. I'm glad you came on this show, man. <laughs> hey, People. well, let me tell you something, Jason. That's not even the better one. The better one is there's another trust bucket Uh-oh. that we can get the we can get the asset shifted into a private placement life insurance policy. Oh wow! Which is tax exempt. So essentially, Jeez. we can eliminate the tax. So, um, husband and wife. Husband does this life insurance policy from the trust. Uh, husband dies. Wife gets life insurance money, but she doesn't have to pay taxes on it. Is that what you're saying? Well, actually a little bit better. So remember the, the, the first scenario where you're shifting the money, the, the trust is essentially selling the assets. So now the money goes to the trust. And because you're not taking money out of the trust, there's no taxable event. You keep investing, investing and reinvesting. And then when you take money out, there's a taxable event, but that's you, you control when you take the money out, shift over to the other side. And let's just say now we're using trust number two, which is different. And the net result from the money that goes into that trust, it's going to basically be withdrawn into a private placement life insurance policy. Life insurance is not ta- not taxable. You can take loans oh, okay. against the life insurance policy. So now they can still continue invest and reinvest and invest Jeez. and reinvest inside that insurance policy, but just take loans against it and never pay taxes on it. I wonder how many pages out of the 75,000 you just gave me. <laughs> <laughs> now probably, those probably are quite a that, few pages. Yeah, I was going to say because this, this I, I've heard of trusts before, but I didn't quite understand why they were so powerful. Now I do, thanks to you. 
Um, so I guess the last thing I want to really cover, because a lot of people I know ask me this and I'm not an expert about it, so I don't know, is um, renting out their real estate and, and how they can either deduct expenses or earn income and, you know, navigate the tax brackets with that as well. So what, what's your advice on people who own real estate? I'll give you the best advice I can give you on real estate, especially for if you're a business owner, Jason. Um, whether you own the dwelling unit you're living in or whether you rent the dwelling unit you're in, like you live in an apartment, you live in a condo, you live in a house, whether you own it or whether you rent it, you control it. So if you're a business owner, if you're a business owner, there's a tax, there's two tax codes, 162 and 280A, that have been around for 50 plus years. Wow. And that tax code basically says that you can rent your your primary dwelling unit that you live in to a third party. And you can the income that you receive from that third party is not taxable. Why is that? Up to a certain number up to a certain number of days. Okay. Why is so I'll tell you because, because so, you because you live in the building, you you're not technically renting it out to somebody because you're living in the building. They're more like a friend or a roommate or something. Is that like a loophole? Yeah, so interestingly enough, so I'll tell you kind of where that came from, but look, I'll, I'll kind of caveat it with, well, yeah, if you have a house and you want to, you want to Airbnb it and you want to go on a little vacation and rent it to somebody else, some stranger, well, the good news is that rent that they give you is not taxable, but that's not what I'm saying you should do. If you're a business owner, your entity is another person. So now you can rent your house to your business for the purpose of meetings and events. And now that in, so you just created a deduction, deduction for your business because you're that didn't cost you anything because charging, you didn't have to. You're charging the business. I didn't even think about that one. Jeez. And now the now the person's receiving the money, and it's not taxable, so you've just created free money for yourself because your business is renting your home for a, the X number of days. And that's that came from, if you like golf, there's a golf tournament that everybody, every year they get a little green jacket. Are you familiar with which golf tournament that is? Uh, <laughs> uh, I, uh, off the top of my head, I, the Masters? That's it. The okay, Masters. okay, I got it, got it, okay. <laughs> so in Augusta, Georgia, fun fact, um, it's a small town, and the world converges on it, you know, once a year. So 50-plus years ago, the, 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 the affluent people in the area right around the course realized that when these corporations come in and they want to wine and dine their clients and, you know, invite them to come to the Masters, et cetera, they could rent their house to these wow. corporations and make a boatload of money That's crazy. and go on vacation. So they lobbied to Congress and said, well, wait a minute, this is our primary resident. We don't get any tax deductions for this. So law, Congress and Senate said, well, we're okay with giving you – you don't have to pay income on it if it's less than a certain number of days. Gotcha. So there you go. Voila. Thanks. You know, that's Thanks where to, it began. Thanks to golf. I'm not a big fan <laughs> of the sport, but now I am. <laughs> and some influential, pe influential people that basically talk to their senators and House of Representatives and say, can you do Let's something do for us because – that's a great story, Mark. I love it. And everything else you gave me is I'm going to be passing this episode on to a lot of people I know because they are going to be interested in hearing about this stuff. So tell us where we can find more about your business and about yourself. Just go to my website, uh, peakprofitsolutions.com. And that's, uh, you know, just like it's profit is not like a prophecy. It's like right. P-R-O-F-I-T. Peakprofitsolutions.com. <laughs> Awesome, Mark. Thanks again. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode and uh, make some profit on your on your tax money, man. Let's do it, guys. And we'll see you in the next episode. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you learned something today, 
Please support this podcast by subscribing to it, sharing it with your friends, and leaving a five-star review. You can learn more about me at jasonsherman.org, where you'll find information about my book, also called Strap on Your Boots, available on Amazon, as well as my course called Startup Essentials on Udemy or Skillshare. I'll see you at next week's episode.